Saying low, Apple Music. Okay, this podcast is a very special one. It celebrates significant milestones that all come together in perfect symbiosis. Selection have been making remarkable radio shows, releasing records, and doing their own live performances alongside other really important cultural touchstones for the last 10 years. And it just so happens that that decade falls at the same time as their 500th radio show, more than 250 of which have been right here on Apple Music Radio. And that was a huge get for us. When we were trying to build out Beats 1, we were searching for artists who had great taste, who wanted to curate radio shows and, and build a world around their own artistic vision, share their music and the music of others and, and build what we felt could be a new model for radio. But we were missing something. We were missing something that felt like it already had trajectory and it already had a cultural resonance and a strong brand behind it. I was introduced to the Selection radio show by a mutual friend of myself and Joe Kay. He sent me a link to two or three shows that were on SoundCloud. I started listening and I didn't stop for a few hours. That's how I knew we had to get it. But it wasn't that easy. Sitting down and discussing what a collaborative future might feel like for an independent soul like Joe K means you're about to go through a whole lot of questions. Joe K doesn't just move with instinct. He also does his diligence. That's why Soul Action is still here and we're having this conversation right now. So as someone who is incredibly honored and proud to have gotten to know Joe in the Soul Action camp over the last six years and change here at Apple Music, we dive into the full 10 years that Soul Action have been bringing us incredible music, incredible incredible taste and incredible soul action right here on the interview series. Seeing you makes me feel good, bro. Feels like home. Like every time we times. talk, it's always just a nice catch up. And, and now we're at episode 500. Dude, congratulations yeah, you Thank and the you. team. Thank you. What an incredible achievement under, you know, evolving <laughs> circumstances, both positive and at times challenging the last 12 months, of course, you know, yeah. you've kept you kept it moving and not just moving, but thriving. I suppose the obvious question while we're sort of celebrating that fact is how do you feel at a milestone like that? I feel great because not everyone, when you start a, a small business or you even something in music, not everything has longevity. I mean, there's been a lot of great collectives and crews from in every genre of music that, or big labels that had like a really core prime era and didn't all make it to 10, but they had massive amount of success, right? And for us, I feel like it's we came from the ground up and I still feel like accomplished, but I still personally feel there's so much more work to do. Totally, that's one of yeah. the things I love about Soul Action is that it moves in, in accordance with the human experience. Yes. It's not really genre focused at all. It's very much about feel and emotion and mood and sensation and things that are kind of normally referred to as tactile experiences, touch and things like that, I feel I have more in common with selection than sometimes even the audible experience does. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, of course. I mean, there's definitely a personal connection. Even when you brought me in that first day, you were referring back to shows I did at the university when mm. I first started at K-Beach. And to me, that's how I knew you were tapped in. You took the time to listen to programming that I was doing in college. And that's where I started Selection. So to look back in retrospect, I mean, we've been part of a lot of great moments. We've been going through a lot of footage and just things from the, our, our iPhones and random photos. And, it's always and, bittersweet, eh? Because yeah. you're kind of reminded about that the good times are still to come, but it's good to feel reflective about some of those great moments. Absolutely. Like I said, I, I, the, the overall tone is I feel accomplished, but I've never been one to celebrate too long and celebrate for a day, maybe yeah. half a day. And then the next morning I'm, I'm on calls and 
already working on the next thing. And yeah, I because it's process, right? Not milestones yeah. so much. But yeah. you are at a 10-year point. Yeah. And a 500 episode, which is like, come on, are you kidding? I mean, that's crazy synergy. It's Normally, so it's it's like 500 at year 13 or it's year 10 at 421. But yeah. for these things to be so perfectly aligned. Yeah. You, you know how I feel right now also is, shout out Dave Free. Mm -hmm. He pretty much said like the first eight to 10 years of of TDE, uh, who's one of the most successful, especially in, in any, as any label, they have some of the biggest artists, right? And I highly respect them. He pretty much said that they were just doing things off of emotion. They didn't really know the infrastructure. Yeah, instinct. Uh, yeah, all instinct. One thing that really stood out to me was he said, those first eight to 10 years were like scrimmage, was like practice. Mm. And for me, I really relate to that because that's how it's been for me. I didn't go to, even in college, like at, at uni, I wasn't a business major. I wasn't any, I was, I was a communication studies major, completely opposite. I never learned how to run a business. I never, no one ever told me even from taxes to, to just having a, a proper lawyer, having the right team, the right management company, all these things and just bringing in the right uh, support crew to help get these ideas out. Nobody taught me that, I learned from trial and error. And so I really relate and I really feel these first 10 years have been practice for us. Yeah. And that's crazy to say because there's been no, a lot of great moments. I agree. I mean, I've, yeah. I've often said the same thing whenever I've started a new challenge, which is talk to me at five and judge me at 10. Like, let's figure this out because that process is, is crucial, but it had to start somewhere. And for you, the selection story started at K-Beach, started with you as a broadcaster, as a curator, as a DJ, as a voice. What inspired you? I mean, what got you on this journey? What, what do you really chalk it up to? You know what's funny is upstairs is our first office ever. This was wow. like 2013. Yeah. Shout out to Coleman. Um, he's like a great mentor of mine. Uh, Madlib used to be recording upstairs. I used to be, so we were literally the room across and you can hear Madlib jamming out or sometimes he would be on tour, but he always left music playing so you never knew when he was there you know wait Matt, so even when he wasn't in the room he'd leave music, music playing he, so he's he's filling the room at all times all with times music. all times I he had that. he had it on loop and it was always this mystery and i've probably only seen him here maybe two or three times um in in the time that i was here wow so it was really important to come back here but it really started um around then i mean we're going on 10 years now and i started out of high school yeah you know, 2007, I started making mixes. But the reason I brought this up is because um, Stone's Throw, another legendary label that I was really inspired by, mm. you know, Rest in Peace Doom and mm. JD and, and obviously Madlib, those were the main three that were the blueprint to the sound, Flying Lotus and going into the legendary airliner to go see um, Flying Lotus and all these great artists um, before they were who they were. And I applied to Stone's Throw as an intern. Mm -hmm. I, I was trying to get my foot in the door with Daddy Kev and Brain Feeder and Alpha Pup. And I never heard back, you know? And at the time I started to do my own podcast. And honestly, the way I got started is I never got an answer back from anybody. So I said, I well, kid, I'm gonna just start this on my own. Yeah. I'm gonna just do my own thing because yeah. the only way I can show people is by literally showing them the sound, the music. Yeah. And I had just been going to shows, buying beat CDs from some of these producers. I remember going to like small shows, maybe like 20 people there in knowledge, you know, and he was part of this crew called Clip Mode and he had a, a beat CD and he didn't drop the beat CD for a good two weeks to a month um, when I got it. So I was able to ex 
you know, premiere or play tracks like that on the podcast. And I feel like that's where the narrative started to, to really take place of Joe and Selection always has their hands on music that is exclusive before it comes out. So if you want to hear something different, even if you don't understand it, go, go to Selection, go to Joe, because they're always going to play something before, before it, it really hits, before you're even familiar with it. I've always had exclusivity to things before the world does, or I've always seen potential in a person outside of music as a friend, or I've seen the, the best potential in somebody mm -hmm. before they even do. And that's just been something I've always tried to amplify myself is, is seeing the potential in somebody, even if it's mm -hmm. a really rough start, but trying to help them develop to be their best selves. Wow, there's a lot to get into there. I mean, that's an, that's an investment strategy in people and in music yeah. and, the, and your passions. And, you know, I think that's a key word here, investment. You, you invested in yourself and in yourselves because all those other places did you a favor, right? They allowed you to go and, and fulfill your own vision. The idea of going and making, you know, music that's exclusive, a benchmark for what you achieved. I feel you did that. You got the last seat on the Elfin ship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like Gandalf's like, Joe, quick, there's one more seat. Because, because a couple of years later, <laughs> streaming kicked in and the whole idea of, of exclusivity was compromised yeah. because, you know, yeah, I could give it to you to play first. I had it for 10 years at the BBC, but like, what good is that if everyone can't stream it? I need the streaming numbers to move. Yeah. And so the idea of who has what, the only way you could keep that moving and you have is by building an incredibly strong culture around those plays. Yeah. That doesn't, it's not just about, oh, I have it first. It's like, I'll play it best yeah so i should have it first 100 because people want to hear me play it yeah i did this for myself first and foremost because i kind of went through like this rough patch as a teenager and in high school and music was the only thing that had my back it yeah. was the only thing that i felt when my relationship with my parents were was kind of like upside down i was in the middle between my parents i would lock myself in my room Sounds and listen to music. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, especially during this COVID era, right? Mm -hmm. We're at home. So how do I make my room and my space? Yeah, you build your own world. Yeah. And so li listening to music all day and studying it. And I did it for myself first and foremost. I was the weird kid in high school, college. No one really listened. But I didn't really care because I already had the vision. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that anything takes, you know, consistency. And at the time, you know, I was... I was a broke college kid, you know, working a part-time serving job, you know, having 50 to $100 to my name. And that's all I had to last me for the week or two. But, so you're but like, I was rich with music. Exactly. So you're like, where's the, where's the closest available microphone and how do I make it and how do I get it live? Correct. Right? Wow. Okay, so you're in student radio and we've got a lot to cover. So I want to keep the timeline moving because it's been a rich history so far mm -hmm. in 10 years, what you've achieved. You're in student radio, you know, college radio, as you call it out here. Then it goes from being your own passion to being something that becomes a logo. The blueprint, your vision starts to come to life of like, this can be a business, this can be a, an ecosystem. Who are you meeting at this moment and who are you drawing to you through energy, through music, through whatever's going on? Who's becoming a part of the early story? You know, I was going to a lot of shows at the time because that was my way of networking and really meeting people, trying to get in touch with a local promoter or someone that ran a, a pub, a bar, an intimate space where, you know, I can bring 20 to 50 people out and be content with that and just have an opportunity to play the music, yeah. maybe film it, record the set, and then putting it out so people can see what it looks like. So I was meeting different people who ran 
uh, different venues, 45, 50 minutes out. That was our first residency that we got from downtown Los Angeles. It was 45 minutes down south in a city called Santa Ana at this place called the Crosby. And it started from there. They gave us one of our first chances to start doing shows. It wasn't until the second year anniversary, that's when we did our anniversary show. And at the time, the artists that we had been releasing with, we had them all pull up and do sets and perform. And we maybe had like 120 people max, which was at that time, 2013 era, that was a big deal for us. And at the time it was really like just SoundCloud, Facebook, a little bit of Instagram. Anywhere to get the word anywhere out. Anywhere to get the word to get out, the Twitter. Music, yeah. But it was really just um, a lot of word of mouth. And we just kept pushing. But the thing is, what I felt pushed selection at the level where it started elevating was we were releasing music and then I was doing the radio show every week. I've been doing, I haven't missed a week other than when, when it's been holiday break. But doing that radio show every week was like the weekly bulletin. And then releasing music simultaneously on Selection Records that's the magic. was like, that's all we needed. It was like we created our own media platform. The radio show was a chance for me to either interview the artist or for me to feature the, feature the music you know, a couple of weeks before it dropped and yeah. I was able to talk about it. And I was my own publicist, I was my own accountant, I was my own manager, I was my own everything. And I said, well, I can't depend, I can't afford a publicist, I can't wait on anybody, uh, you know, at, at whatever top station. What you really can't afford to is not have that experience yourself. That's what you really can't afford yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's good, you know, it's part of the process. And I feel like if yeah. it wasn't for that process, I feel like that hunger is what got me inside the door with you guys. Let me make it really clear. What got us into the room together to have a conversation, what really got us together was the taste. And I mean, I got to the point where I, where I decided even if you'd said no to us, I was still just gonna listen to you. As a, as a supporter. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna be like, well, I've you, you know what, found it. You know what stood out in that conversation, Zane, is when I remember it like it was yesterday. It's crazy because it's almost been six years already. Um, shout out to Apple Music One already going on six when it was Beats One. And the keynote hadn't even happened where, no where Apple Music was going to become a thing. The that, keynote couldn't happen until we had you on board and we had Drew, <laughs> you know, Drake on board. And Drake, no, it's true. We, didn't, it, we couldn't <laughs> announce it unless we had a schedule. Yeah, no, it's true. And I remember you're like, look, you know, Selection, yourself, you guys have your ears to the streets. And like, there's no one bringing forward this sound. And to me, that was so uplifting because like, yeah, who's this? Hispanic Latin kid like out of nowhere like it's like on the press you would see like Dre, Pharrell, Drake and you know Alton John and then you see this random. I can't speak for those artists but the vibe I got was like we'll try this out or there's benefits here and benefits here for us to try this out whereas you were like I'm at 215. I've done 215 of these. I have an audience that are used to coming at a certain moment every week to hear what I play. I'm building my own business. I'm not seeing this as a jump into the mainstream to be able to do some big privatized equity deal. <laughs> this either works for me or it doesn't work at all. Yeah. It either works for the brand or it doesn't work at all. This isn't, there's not, what you're really saying to me, which was crazy, which I've never forgotten and you remain true to this, is there's, there's nothing really to trade. Like this isn't a trade. Like it either works or it doesn't. That's what I appreciate about you. You always got back to me and you always gave me the time. And, and also I want to give a shout out to Future the Prince. Oh yeah. He was in my life no, at that time. Sure. And he was part of that too. And like even getting his, you know, his people to help me out. You know what I mean? But people picked up on it. And, and to yeah. my point I was going to make before was that in amongst all of those kind of headlines that came out around launch, 
there were people who were like, wow, you got selection. Like those in the know were like, hmm, that's interesting. Because I can imagine for you, there were some people who were concerned whether they were listeners, fans, part of the community, or even, or even business partners or members of your team that were like, do we need this? How does this reflect on our Superman logo, you know? Yeah, there was a moment. I mean, there was a lot of our supporters who were voicing like they were, they were fearful of that it was going to have to be mainstream. And at the time, remember, I mean, most of the show, the music that I play is not even in the out. system. <laughs> the fact that you kept the pressure on about this, I need to play what I want to play. I got to play it. That was number one. I'm like, number if I one. can't play what I want to play, then You're compromising I, what it doesn't I do. make sense. You're compromising what I do. I'll, I'll stay on SoundCloud, right? Yeah. Think about that for a second. Like, we launched a media platform on Apple, first to ever do it. And you afforded us the ability through your insistence and commitment to selection to actually be able to support artists that weren't even streaming yet, thereby helping to create a culture of uploading music into streaming services whilst you were supporting their music. That is mind-blowing. That's you. Wow. This whole partnership changed my life, changed me and my family's life. It, it has really created a, a structure within selection because we were so DIY and we still are. We're still independent to this day, but being on... Apple Music has changed so much for us, you know, and, and I sat down with my team. And I'm like, we've left our mark and let's just get back to work. But I'm like, I'll do this if I sit down with Zane because I feel like me and Zane go back halfway in to this and Zane and the team took a chance. And you guys have been very supportive. And I think that's the most important thing. Every time I listen to your show, it's just exceptional curation and it's presented in a way that is complete. It's not like a good DJ set versus a bad DJ set the next day. It's like everything that comes out has a real attention to, to selection detail is different to other people's detail. And um, I think it's incredible that you've been able to remain independent. And I want to talk to you about how challenging that has been over the last 10 years, because a lot of people like the idea of being an independent. They don't really realize how much extra work it is being independent. I mean, it is, you've got to be all in. You're dealing with a lot of artists, a lot of people's livelihoods. It's intense. And there's always a temptation there, I'm sure, to like, look, even if it's just a minor equity deal, it's going to take the pressure off. How has that process been being an independent business for 10 years? It's been a roller coaster of emotions, honestly, because, I mean, we've sat down with so many people from every label, every, we've been told, oh, we're going to figure this out. And then every time it gets to the final steps, it always flats. It just, it just kind of goes out the window uh, because we usually hit a point where it's like, we are about protecting the artists. We, we are artists, you yeah, know, a lot right. of us. What good is it to sign this big deal if it's not representing the current state of music and the yeah. artists who, even artists that we've worked with and brought up through selection or have worked with at some point, you know, you can name it from Daniel Caesar, just having him on the show early on, yeah. Snow Allegra, yeah. um, Brent Fayez, you know, just, just the name of Sir. Smino. Smino. All these. Sango. Yes. Mr. Carmack. A lot of people. Goldlink. Yeah. Keep going. You know, and, and having them at a point where they were developing, and now looking at them now, they're at the forefront. Some of them have gone on to do major deals. Some of them are still independent. But the fact of the matter is, everyone did what was best for them. But even at that time, we've always gone up to bat for the artists and making sure that, hey, the, the artists should own their masters. You know, do it, so doing the sticking doing a license, yeah. a license structure where the artist may be licensed to 
this partnership. Yeah. But they still own their music. It's safe to say that has always been the fundamental sticking point. Always, always. Because no money is worth giving up something that you created. Even with the best of intentions, all of these potential deals that have been on the table, and I'm sure it runs the gamut from major independents to major majors, that at some point when it comes down to that question about like, can we find a way to work through this master's situation, that it's always the deal breaker. You're fundamentally saying that that, yeah. that is still a mentality within the record label system that is remains an issue. Yeah, it's like the splits don't usually match up yeah. to that are in favor of not just the artists, but also selection. And so we always kind of just hit this this indifferent stage. Yeah. And that's fine. The only frustrating part is is the funding and the resources yeah, that yeah. when you level out sometimes with a major label, I mean there's infinite funding. And then you have little old selection mom and pop style that has a locked in audience and a community that you you can't really you can buy numbers, but you can't buy an audience who's yeah. engaged and cares. Yeah. And that's what we have. So we're we're wealthy from within. We've, we've built this community who cares, but we're still DIY. But I would say like now that we're 10 years in, our number Practice one- Practice is over. Yeah, now it's game time. The exhibition's over. Now it's time to, to bat with the pros. And I feel like now I, we have a great team. Everyone is happy. Everyone's locked in. Everyone shows up or opens up their laptop looking forward to get to work. And the main focus now, as it was in our roots, but now it's just more organized, is selection records. Yeah. You know, we developed a lot of people. We we had a lot of wins, but a lot of people came to Selection to plug in and then got their deals. Yes. You know what I mean? Now we're trying to be the next Rockefeller, be the next TDE or, or whoever. That's what we're doing here. And a lot of it was producer driven early on with, with a few artists. Now the main focus has been artists and vocalists, rappers, singers, still, and then still being a hybrid you know, producer, DJ culture. It's the producer first. Mm -hmm. The producers get overlooked so often. They don't mm -hmm. get the proper splits or the publishing rights or they get overlooked. Or even the credit. Credit. And we've always put the producer on stage as if they are the artist. They yeah. always have been. Yeah. And I think now that we're in this happy, organized place, now it's like, okay, now we can do X, Y, and Z for you. Let's invest into what matters, your resources. Mm -hmm. What do you need personally? Do you, mm -hmm. Is it financial or is it, is it a studio? Mm -hmm. Is it- What's important to you? What's important to you? Yeah. So it's, we work with the artists, we help develop them and we become close friends. It's not about the money. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's something that's often misunderstood about the artistic experience is that it's, is it, you know, all artists start with a pure intention then ultimately it gets to a point where it's like, I need some money. And of course money's important. Everyone deserves an opportunity to live and do what they love to do if they work hard at it and they're willing to make the effort and commitment to it, then yeah, 100%, the terms have got to be right. But where I think there's a misunderstanding is that people get too preoccupied with that being the incentive. It's not. Yeah. The incentive is, can I keep going? Can I keep creating? Can I live a life <laughs> in dedication to the creative arts? Yeah. Not, can I live a life where I'm doing two jobs to, find, to fund my endeavor? Just let me focus on, what I focus focus on. on this. Because if I can focus on it, the money will come and the success will come. It and, will. And it may not be Drake or it may not be Rihanna, but it'll be in mine and it will be enough for me until I get the next part and the next part the next, and the next part. part. Yeah. yeah. And that's how it's been. It's been a steady race. You know, we've watched other people excel and become exponential, but I feel like 
for us, it's like a marathon is really yeah, a longevity game. For sure. It's not even a, for us, it's not a race. I have this mentality that I still feel like we're slept on with certain people or certain spectrums of the world, but it encourages us to go harder. And I feel like we still have such a niche sound and what we do that I, I still feel like there's a core audience and there's people who are barely finding out about selection what, to this day. But what you're saying is that you feel ready now after 10 years that if you did have the right artist with the right song that struck a chord and all of a sudden became that moment that every label has had one single moment's all you need and as long as you're ready, you can build off that. And you're saying you're ready now. Yes, and, and I'm starting to see that the investments and things that we, we were really early on five years ago. Prime example, Monty Booker, mm -hmm put out a track with Smino called Colors. Mm -hmm. You know, it was something we just put on SoundCloud. It was free. It was part of a white label series. This past summer, it went big on TikTok and it just, all the kids were embracing it. And, and now it's gonna, it's gonna hit gold. It took five, six years, but it doesn't matter. The fact is that it, that sound was so ahead of its time. Yeah, that's right. Hence, that's where the sound of tomorrow comes from, is that's that right. it was so early that the general public yeah. is finally resonating with it. Yeah. This is the first, selection homegrown yes. record Great. that's gonna perfect. that's gonna do this and to us that that's very inspirational it's a start so i always tell people one song away from from your life changing you know with mr records is the priority right now amongst everything else i would say probably the last five or six years outside of radio it's felt like the focus has been on live is that fair to say oh yeah it has it was and that's why the 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 record side kind of slowed down a bit because yeah. we were on the road making physical presence. And it was, you know, it was great to get that experience, great to see the world. But comes when you travel as much as we were and being around the world as much as, the collateral is, there's a lot of things, your family, your health, a lot of those things take a hit. You're in the micro when you're on the road. You're constantly going from one show to the next. Each show has to be a success. You take that bag, you try to distribute it accordingly, but you're really in the micro moment. There's not a lot of time to forward think and, for, and foreshadow a business plan when you're on the road, There's right? There's not. You just don't have the mental There's capacity. Not. And, and that's what took a hit is like, I would constantly have to catch a flight while I had simultaneous yeah. business going on <laughs> that was unfinished business. And luckily, yeah, I've always had a team, but it was important for me to be present and I had all these ideas. And I've already, we've already started like three to four new businesses since mm. COVID. Mm. And if it wasn't for having this time home, I wouldn't have been able to do that. There's just absolutely no way. Yeah, people often say like, why are you making music on the road? Or why don't you write more on the road? It, having done a fair amount of touring in my life as a DJ and stuff, no. you can't, man. You can't. Even if, you, even if you're taking care of yourself and you're not traveling or, or flying all the time or, or making the most of the gigs and all the things you're doing and playing every night, just being away from your business or away from your home or away from that stability isn't a productive mental headspace. Really, and, and like I said, it's, it's taxing. You know, we're in an era, we've been in an era, but it's finally getting the, the representation because of people who have lost their lives and, and people who haven't done well, but mental wellness is crucial. And, and as much as, you know, going up there on stage, the anxiety, the, and, and that's, you know, you're this talking about real intimate crowds to, to stadiums, right? It doesn't matter. 
everyone has their own plateau and, and cap, right? And so it's a lot, you know, if you drink or whatever you do, whatever your routine is, you're eating, everything changes, yeah. the, 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 the lack of sleep. It really does affect the mind over the course of years, right? It's a cycle that I think we've seen artists get into over generations where it's like, I don't know if I really want to be doing this right now. It's not good for me. So what do I have to do to distract myself from that reality to cope? Coping mechanisms yeah. get to lead to self-destruction and self-destructive behavior can lead to awful scenarios. Yeah. This is something that as somebody who's working deep to try to nurture the artistic spirit, getting out of that touring cycle must have really made you think like, wow, we can be a record label because we know that this isn't healthy. Yeah. Just this. Yes, it's not. It, it, it had a great impact in terms of the presence and meeting the people, hearing their stories, selling out shows. But, you know, we were able to get our merchandise shop and, and like selection supply, get that off the ground, yeah. build a whole team, a fulfillment team, started learning how to, to stream our own sets so we couldn't be on the road, yeah. stream from our HQ. Yeah. And there's been just a lot of times before all that that I wanted to throw in the towel, so like a good four or five times in these last 10 years, not just because of touring, but just all the things that we're adding. It's like, not everything is gonna be fun every day, no matter what your passion is. Yeah. The pressure and the anxiety, it just adds to the mind. And so there's been a lot of times where I wanted to throw it in, but I thought, I'm like, I thought about all the people on tour that I've met. I thought about the, the messages, the comments, the people who feel they gain nothing but positive from what we do, I'm like, at this point, it's not about me. It's bigger than me. It's about it's not me about the team. It's about us having a, a, a better, a bigger impact on somebody mm -hmm. else. And it's almost like this is like our community service. Like I said, whether we we're making money off of it or not, we'd still be doing it to some capacity. Yeah, it creates a different perspective. It probably ultimately gives you the distraction you need from making a decision you might regret later on, right? Yeah. I mean, that being said, you know, you've had some incredible experiences touring around the world. I mean, you've circumnavigated a lot of incredible places on around the globe, you know, from Costa Rica, right through to Rio, Sydney, <laughs> South Africa, you did your own stage in South Africa. I mean, let's just talk about some of the most memorable experiences of the last 10 years from all of that road work. There's been so many, you know, sometimes I have to like look at old flyers and look at, you know, old videos or be reminded, you know, I get yeah. tagged, you know, certain times of the year when people are- I was there. Yeah, I was, I was here. And, and it's really nice because when I had started my first tour, I had left my day job. So that was the jump. Like I had learned that from that first tour, the money that I was going to make from the net that I walked home with was the same amount that I was gonna come home with at my day job. And even though- One of the best days of your life? The best day. One of the best the days best of your days, life. The best day ever. And, and since then, I never looked back. That tour took me to Europe for my first time. Wow. I always wanted to go to Europe in and, high school. And Europe really embraced selection in a big way. Oh, Why do you think massive. that was? Because people in Europe, I just feel like are more open-minded when it comes to music. There's just so many things, their energy, they're just more loose. Well, it's a lot of different countries with different tastes, closely knit in a bordered situation that even though each country has a unique infrastructure, yeah. legal system, government process, anything like that, the music and the art's different too. So you're right, it's, it's just by its very nature, it's a very cr cross-pollinated environment, yeah. like creatively. Yeah, from the UK to, to going to Paris and France and- Eastern Europe. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. the Netherlands and going to Germany. Those were like the main core places that, that really championed us. It changed our lives. It really put a stamp. And sometimes even 
you know, they appreciated us because we weren't from there. We were coming in international from the States. And then vice versa, when our people back home yeah. saw that we were kind of being amplified and embraced overseas, then when we came back home, then it... Often the way it works. It's, huh? it's the way it works, but but also, I mean, I think for you to go to the UK as, as an American fan, business runner, and creative DJ host, moving into a space like Selection, which has been traditionally occupied by a Benji B or a Giles Peterson, from a UK perspective, and, and every major territory has their their voice in that space, it felt fresh. It's like I'd never really heard anybody play that kind of music and get it right. Yep. From the US. Yeah. I would just, and I still do, you know, of course, go to Giles or Benji and check what they're playing and da 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 da. Yeah, but no one from the States, I, I agree. And those were the people that I looked up to it was you, it was Benji, it was Marianne Hobbs, it was yeah. Giles Peterson. Yeah. Those were like my template of radio. And then, so I'm like, I wanna be that for, the, for LA, for the States. <laughs> and that's what happened. And then, you know, like we talked earlier, I, I wanna give him his flowers. I'm always big on embracing people while we're here because so often we lose people and then and then you talk about all the greatness but in real time someone like Kei Tronada right when he was Kei Tronadamus and like we literally came up together like different crews or just shoulder to shoulder and embracing him playing his music when he was just this kid out of Montreal and to see him really push like soulful dance music, house, up-tempo sounds, grooves, rhythm, and still being able to make beats that sounded like Mad Lib or any of your favorite trap producers. He can do it all, he can make Boston, Brazilian You just summed up selection. Yeah. So, okay, Keitronard is a great example because Keitronard just won two Grammys. Yes, that's exactly uh, what I brought him You know, an incredible story that you've played an essential role in each other's lives. So going back to Keitronadamus, can you remember what you heard that made you that really just emboldened your idea of what a selection sound was and why you identified with what Keitra was making. You know, I, it's it's hardest because it must have been one of his early beat tapes. It was some random beat. It wasn't even the remixes. Yeah. The remixes came in two years after I already knew him, but when he was making these really intricate beats that sounded like hybrid Flying Lotus and Madlib and Dilla, that's what I gravitated to because I'm I've always been into the sonics and deep sounds of of the beats. It was left fielded and it was not normal mm. to the normal ear. But to me, I resonated with those sounds, those those mm. layers of of textures, right? And so I really was a fan of it. And then little by little, he started to to experiment with different sounds. And then it was when he did, you know, he started making house music. And at the time, you would have to go to the raves or to the massives. To, and, and that was perceived as more for like the electronic world. Yeah. You didn't hear, especially a person of color, or you didn't really see, not, not well, obviously house music and everything came from, from black yeah, people. From Chicago to but Detroit, what I'm saying is to the, to, to the general public, it was mostly EDM or techno, right? At the time, yeah. Yeah, but to hear like a young producer kind of break the standard of of like making a traditional 4-4 record or something like that, but using that kind of SoundCloud beat, yeah. loose instru like instrumental feel. with the feel. same side-chaining compression, yeah. more dustiness that a Mad yeah. Lib or a Dilla. And that low end and yeah, and adding that to, putting his element into a, a, a dance record. Yeah, it was game changing. And to this day, he's still responsible for that. He won two Grammys, being like one of the, the first, you know, black 
uh, artist, black DJ to win in the category. That's huge. And and to know that where he came from, that we came from the same mm. community. I mean, at that point, it's just kind of like anything is possible. And it, it's really big. And like Sango said it best, he's like, if Katra wins this, like SoundCloud, like everybody won. Everyone that came from that era, you know, it's like a hometown win. You know, he was in the new artist category, but Katra's been doing this same thing for over a decade. I wasn't even mad at that. Yeah. You know, people get so upset when they're like, why are you putting that person in the new artist category? They've been making all this, the album, two albums, multiple. <laughs> and I'm like, who cares? If that's a new artist to Joe down the road or Sam up the street, give him his award. Yeah. I don't care. It's crazy. I mean, even you look at Bruno and, and AP, yeah. I still see people saying like, because of Bruno, I never knew who AP was. I never knew who Anderson Park was. And people saying that, and I'm like, where have you been? But that's just what it is. I mean, he was an early one for you, big time. Yeah. I mean, before Dre, before any of it, you identified something there. Him, Snow, uh, like I said, we brought up Brent Fiaz. And look, Brent's one of the biggest yeah. R&B. His moment is about to happen oh, on a mass That's the crazy right part is, look how big he is already. And shout out to him and his team, Ty. Shout out to the Sonder guys, you know, mm -hmm. who are a big core of his production like d-pad and r2 who also came you know we, we worked with them we put out releases as producers but that's the point is these stories it's like to see everyone eating and getting their flowers yeah. now and that people a lot of these artists haven't even hit their prime yet mm. is very rewarding and it's also the acknowledgement of just knowing that okay mm. we we took a bet on these people years back and now these people or at the forefront of music. It's, it's amazing. It, it only further shows proof of concept. And like you said, like just reinforces the confidence you should have in your model and who you are going forward for the next 10 and beyond. Yeah. You move so deliberate, like even down to like how you approach your PR strategy, you know, you could have bombarded through all kinds of media outlets to get the word out there. But it's like you, you move into that space with the same attention and care. Like, mm, I really only want to do this thing because it's a collectible thing. Like the, how important was the LA Times piece when it came out? It was really important because I mean, one, it's a hometown publication and it's most respectable here, but it was, it was important because it was actually like embracing and making things something more like immortal that stood beyond just a digital, yeah. this digital platform and it's putting it, they put us on the newspaper. Yeah. And I was able to like go back to my family and be like, look, I know maybe this didn't make sense years back and you were challenging me. Maybe I should do something more traditional mm. or you didn't understand what I was trying to tell you then. But look, it's finally paying off. And that photo on that paper was taken upstairs. That's great. You know what I'm saying? In a, in a 433 square and foot office. it was you, office. Andre. It, it was our whole team right. at, at the time. It was a management crew. People foresee, they hear selection, they think it's this big collective in which it is when you break down the artists and DJs and people behind it. But in terms of who's running it and making the decisions, it's only a handful of us, mm. you know? And, and we've all just kind of done things through passion. Same thing, me giving the keys, hey, you, you wanna run point on, on touring and booking? Hey, you wanna take over the fulfillment side? Go for, figure it out. Go figure it out. I, I trust you because you have the, the mindset. Yeah. I, know, I know we're gonna fall a few times, we're probably gonna lose some money, but I, will have a better sense of mind if I can focus on what I do and oversee everything from, from afar and do what I do and, and focus on what is gonna keep elevating us, but allow these people and championing them on the back end 
to take role and to gain confidence to be an A&R, to be whatever that position is. Yeah. And now to see even some of the, the people who have worked with us over the years, to see them working for big labels, big artists, or build their own companies and to know that it started here. Yeah. I always like to say Selection has been a, a university. I've learned more through Selection than I did in school. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you, I guess, want to be left alone to focus on and do best is the radio show and the consistency at which you continue to deliver that up to 500 episodes. Let me explain to something, everybody who's watching this or listening it's to this right now. <laughs> You, when you sign up for radio, you sign up for the chance to share in your passion and communicate and learn, listen, and also if you, if you have something to share, share and, and empower people with your knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's what you sign up for. Mm -hmm. What's not to love? What you don't sign up for and you don't realize is that you're gonna have to do it every day <laughs> or every week without fail. And there's one great adage about when you start doing a radio show, can I swear on this? <laughs> Stay on the fucking air. <laughs> Stay on the air. Yeah. That's the thing. And, and yeah. you know, you've stayed on the air for 500 episodes consistently delivering every week. And if you have one or two bad shows or you, people may lose faith like, oh man, this show hasn't been hitting. I'm, on I'm to the next out. one. That's the only thing you can do to get them That's back. All you can do is just keep it. Because great. they loved you once, they'll love you again. They just got to make sure when they come back, they're like, oh, he's back to his, he's back on form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not on the air, they ain't coming back ever. No, you're right. It's been a love-hate relationship because I love doing it. I've found so many artists to see how excited, and I know you relate to this, is mm. to see the look when you're interviewing oh, these artists. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. Radio is our life, but it's not all we do. Especially, you have a family, I have a family. Yeah. So all these different things, yeah. I focused my whole week on working around the show. Yeah. And because of it, I've had my ear so close to what's going on and it, and it forces me to put myself in that position. Um, but because of it, I've been able to change a lot of lives because from putting people onto these new artists that no one knows about, they start to follow them in their journey if they put out merch or when they did a show or any important moment that they connected with, then those people that came from Selection or myself are now putting a resource and money into that artist's pocket and their family. And so the, the wealth is spread. For example, there was this mother and son, son's like late 30s, 40s, and his, his mother, you know, she had cancer and she was going through chemo and every Sunday, mm -hmm. they listen to Selection together and during chemo and that's their bonding time. And wow. she's still alive, she's still kicking, she's still, you know, wow and prospering. And, and wow. to me, hearing stories like that keeps me going or hearing another story where this, this guy came out to Dubai to see me and he's like, I came out here out of fear of flying. Me listening to Selection uh, helped me and my anxiety, you know, getting on that plane. And I came here to see you and I'm like, oh yeah, at this point, it's, it's not even about me or who cares about what I think. There's people who really rely on this music. It's, it's, it's healing and, and it's bigger. So those stories, like you said, it, it, it's the core development of everything. Is it stressful? Yes, but the reward of it is bigger than ever. And it's been the, the most consistent thing that we've been doing. I'm not surprised that people get all kinds of experiences and, and, and to some degree, some kind of calming fulfillment out of a selection radio experience. I mean, for a start, there's that voice. Shout out, Mario. <laughs> oh, there's that voice. 
No, there's something about the tone of the show. Was it always like that? Did you always kind of, did you just slip into that? Because it is kind of so authoritative, but at the same time, there's just no pushing. You know, I, I, I hate talking. Right. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I just, I feel you. I'm at a point where I don't even want to talk. If, if I didn't have to speak on the shows and just keep it about the music, I would. Yeah. My first talking point is usually not until between yeah. the 10th and 20th minute. Yeah. But that's purpose because I want people to listen to the music and then yeah. as they get, they start unwinding and then I come in and okay, greet cool. them. Okay, cool, let me guide you through this. That yeah. being said, you found your voice when it comes to the conversation space. Yeah. It's not easy, interviewing isn't easy, especially now in the day and age of podcasts, everyone thinks they can do it. There's a difference between interviewing and conversations and neither one is better or worse than the other, they're yeah. just different. I feel like you have conversations with your guests. By the way, some serious people have rolled through this experience now. Yeah, I preferred just genuine organic conversations, just like as we're having. So so who's been the hardest? And who's been the best? And who's been the one you've been the most nervous for? And let me ask you the top five questions that I get asked all the time, like, <laughs> uh, who surprised you? Uh, come on. You know, one of my favorite interviews was um, Genuine. And then you have like a producer who's like 15 right now that that is in his bedroom interpreting it and, and, and resonating with Never it. Never heard Jenny Pony ever before in their yeah. entire life, just and dialed into that beat, like who made that and what planet are they from? Yeah, or another one is like a static major, the one where, yeah. where they're, in the, they're playing the chords, you know, player, and that's something that, that Drake went on to sample. Yeah. And a lot of people have taken that rough YouTube cut and, and sampled that and, and, and put some drums or, some, some more elements to it. And there's been so many things that we've played that have been classics, but the reason why I love the genuine one so much is not just because I grew up on listening to him, but because he had so many important stories that I wanted to know about. He, he was speaking on behalf of Timbaland, Missy, Aaliyah, yeah. Devante, and Jodeci, and hearing just all these like goats that, you know, there wasn't social media then. So the only way we can hear about these things outside of watching TV and old recorded tapes was hearing it directly from the source. So hearing that was really important for me. And to this day, I mean, like I said, Timbaland and Pharrell, Chad, those artists, Dilla are like the core DNA to, to selection. And like, those are people that I don't know where I'd be without them. And I feel like a lot of people in our generation <laughs> feel that way, you know what I mean? Or just seeing like the Bryson Tiller in 2015 you know, him coming to the studio with us and then him embracing one of our, our producers and DJs at the time to then take them on tour with him mm. and producing, having him, Sango, and other people produce tracks on Trap Soul. You know, those are the stories that that's what makes it all worthwhile. You know, somebody you spoke to uh, at an instrumental point in their creative journey and then they ended up having such a kindred relationship with you that you ended up touring with him was the late, great Mac Miller, Divine Feminine being the album of the tour. Man, rest, you know, rest easy. Yeah, man, and a, you know, a, a hugely influential and, and artist and a beautiful human um, from my experience. And um, that album was, was so within the selection landscape. How was that tour and that experience of getting to know Mac over time? That tour, he took core members of the crew on with him that, that like opened up for him. Yeah. I believe it was Andre Power, mm -hmm. Kim on the hooligan, mm -hmm. he just embraced everybody. And I think, you know, Mac was a, a artist, true musician, you know, he, he made beats, you know, uh, Larry Fisherman and yeah. to see 
him embrace us because we come, like we said, we're producers. Yeah. The producer community is heavy. He was really about the beats and I really, I feel like he recognized that and I really appreciated that. And just hearing the divine feminine and just hearing his progression as an artist and seeing sonically, mm. that, that's when I started to hear more of the soulfulness and that beat inspired sound and the grooves and that, that sound really come out into his music. I, even when he came on, on the show, you could tell he was just like a sponge, just wanting to learn the most that he can. I mean, he had a voice, but you could tell he really wanted to get better on his instrumentation yeah, and, he and did. production skills. I mean, Circles just showed and proved where he was going. Yeah, and when I asked him to come on the show, there was no hesitation. He felt like he wanted to do that one for the community. And that's something that we'll always hold closely. Yeah. So man, I mean, 10 years, 500 shows, epic quality and consistency combination. Like one of the best in my lifetime I've seen in process. Like, congrats. Thank you. Incredible what you, what you continue to build. What is the sort of driving principle? Now you spent 10 years building it. What is the driving principle behind Selection? The driving principle now is I want to connect with more people. I want to use our platform to build more community in our people, even the people who work with Selection, that work for Selection. You know, we're all getting older. I mean, I'm 31 now. We all, everyone's starting to create their families and infrastructure. This isn't no longer- It's long exciting though. Yeah, it's grown. It's, it's time. That will just reset your priorities whether you want it to or not. Yeah, like we said earlier, we're, yeah. we're, we're thinking differently now. Now it's like, I want all my people to, to own real estate. You know mm. what I'm saying? I want everybody to have stock or some sort of investment. Because it's like, this doesn't always last forever. We don't know how long, I mean, we plan to keep going. And, you know, I think we'll always be in business as long as we want. Mm. There's a handful of things in life that people always want, no matter, you know, a catastrophe or a, a, an epidemic or not. People need music, they need art, they need love. They need something to smile about to get their minds off of what's going on in the world because it's, it's dark out there at times. And, and it can really affect the mental, so that's what we do. We're, we're essentially music healers in our own right. We heal people through music, art, through messaging, and we help people. It's not even about being a musician if you're listening to Selection. It's about starting your own business. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to, to rent the home, to buy the home. Let's, let's own the land. You know what I'm saying? Let's invest for your family. The short-term game, if you never had money, it's one thing. You got to get that out of your system. You got to kind of wild out, treat yourself, treat your family, go on trips. Because when we transition to the next life, mm -hmm. when this is done mm -hmm. and our time is up, you have a legacy to leave behind, but we cannot take the physical realm with us. So we stress so much about the future, investing all these things for your family, for yourself. But really all you have is what you're doing right now in yourself. It's a collection of moments. My yeah. Friend. So... It's like making the biggest impact, building a legacy for your family, for other people, yep. having them build that empire. And, and for us, for me, it's, it's through music, art. I really just want Selection to, to be, become like, I know it sounds crazy, to become a heavy hitter in the record industry. How do we become like the next big label <laughs> where we're selling millions and millions of records and then just really embracing one another and just being at the forefront of whatever it is that, that we really desire, you know? And so to me, that's what keeps me going, you know? And, and just 
the biggest thing is just seeing an artist go from their bedroom to selling out their own shows, their own concerts, you know, seeing them provide, buying their first house. To me, that's like the biggest thing, you know? So I just want to keep doing that and just do it at a higher level. I mean, yeah. this is a great moment to just pause and reflect, but dude, on to the next 10. For real, and thank you. A true independent story, Joe K and the Selection Camp celebrating 10 years, 500 shows, and here's to the next 10 and more. Thanks so much for checking out another conversation right here on my interview series. Please rate that conversation. You can add a comment and most importantly, follow the series because we will be back with a brand new conversation. Thanks again.